Hello, and welcome to Reed Scholars Live. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Fleming, and current president of Reed Scholars. I am joined today uh, by Dr. Brian Swan. Brian Swan is currently the Chief of Oral Health and an instructor at the Cambridge Health Alliance in conjunction with the Harvard School of Dental Medicine. He completed his dental degree um, at the University of California in San Francisco and worked extensively in California and abroad before completing the Joseph L. Henry Oral Health Fellowship uh, at Harvard in 2008. Um, his, leadership had, <laughs> his leadership was instrumental in the formation of Reed Scholars. He continues to be passionate about redefining the role of the oral physician, expanding the integration of care model, and improving access to oral health programs here and around the globe. Thank you, uh, Brian, for all that you have done for us as Reed Scholars and what you continue to do for the world, and welcome to our podcast today. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure. Um, and, and so we're here to talk a little bit about, you know, what your what your day to day is looking like um, right now in the in the face of COVID nineteen, and um, mm -hmm. speak a little bit about how it's impacting um, the industry, you know, as individual um, providers, but also, uh, you know, what we can look forward to and uh, going forward to how it's going to change the whole scope of of medicine and dentistry um, in totality. Well, I'm uh, happy to uh, share with you that my perspective, and uh, as we know, oral health is a very subjective profession. Everybody has an opinion about what is right, and, um, and it varies considerably based on where you've trained and so forth. But with the COVID-19 and the pandemic uh, impacting uh, the globe, we believe that oral health should play you know, a significant role. Part of the projects that we've worked on in the past through the National Dental Association included uh, work in Haiti, uh, which we still do. And part of the we chose to work in Haiti is um, post the earthquake that killed almost 300,000 people. Uh, and with that time having approximately 300 plus dentists, we asked what was the role that they played uh, in dealing with the injuries that occurred, especially in the head and uh, neck uh, and, and the oral cavity area. And most of those cases uh, we found out were actually sent to the Dominican Republic for treatment and that there wasn't a great deal of involvement, partially because many of the dental offices in the Haitian Eighth Court were in that Port-au-Prince area that were destroyed. Um, but also because people didn't really practice oral health being a part of emergency preparedness. Mm -hmm. So we thought we could learn a lot from that, as well as to sort of try as best we can to start having a discussion about the role that dentists can play. And I don't call myself a dentist anymore. I call myself an oral physician. And the oral physician basically is trying to integrate oral health in primary care in the scope of the dental practice. And so we start looking at how we can be more uh, impactful and building capacity in areas that are related to primary care, emergency preparedness being one of those areas. So whether it's through CDC or whether it's NIH or whether it's through local chapters, um, we are advocating that dental students, once they graduate, people who are per currently practicing, sign up to be a um, 
to be on the front line if necessary, if, or anywhere that they can. Um, because of our training in the head and neck area, we can lend a lot to this. And so with the COVID-19 virus being something that is spread, uh, certainly orally is one of those primary methods, then how do we address that by helping with the pandemic? Uh, if there's a vaccine, will dentists take on the liability of giving vaccines in their practice? Mm -hmm. Right now, flu vaccines can be given by pharmacists, but not by dentists, unless it's a pandemic. And we give injections in the oral cavity every day. And yet we're not called to the front line, nor are we advocating in any large degree to participate in keeping a well-known disease like influenza and flu under control. And so what will happen when we get, hopefully, a vaccine for the COVID-19 Will or health play a role in that? So I guess what I'm saying is that this is a challenge. Challenges create opportunities, and the opportunity is for or health to help build capacity within itself as a discipline, but overall in terms of healthcare going forward. And then you brought several interesting points up. One of the things I wanted to um, circle back to a lot of our conversation recently just in in lay media and um you know in the medical circle is talking about the the essential worker right and what does essential mean today um and so some of the uh, dental practices have not been deemed essential and and are closed right and so one you're uh, decreasing access but also you're impacting a large percentage percentage of practices that are um, privately owned and operated. And so um, what do you think is going to be the, yeah, like you said, you know, there's clearly going to, there's some challenges in the, in real time. Um, but also, as you mentioned, there might be some possibilities and, and potential um, to come out of this with uh, a better sense of how the, the dental practices can participate in, in pandemics or other crises like these. Yeah, and I think it's, 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 a, it's a valid point. And uh, for instance, we in the, I work in the public sector now, but prior to that, I had about 25 years experience in the private sector. And uh, private practices and DSOs, which are corporate run private practices, uh, comprise approximately 90% of all dentistry in America. Public uh, dentistry, public health type of services and community clinics and hospital-based clinics, approximately 5%. Military, another 3%. So therefore, a lot of people get left out when you look at the cost of oral health care. And oral health care is expensive because it's expensive to run an oral health care business. You know, the labs, the equipment, the supplies, the materials, the insurances, when you put all that together, it's a very, very tough business to run. And so people, when they get into it, they put everything into it to try to make it work. Doesn't leave room for too much else. And, and, and that too much else includes things like poor health being at the policy table. Generally speaking, we're not there. Um, in our communities, you know, statewide, nationally, we're not there. The people at the policy table exclude us. We are an outlier as a profession. Mm 
part of that has to do with the way we're trained. Oral health is not integrated into the core curriculums of nursing schools, schools of pharmacy, schools of medicine. How ironic is that? It is. What it leads us to believe is that oral health care, as vital as it is, is a business first and a healthcare discipline second. And so the opportunities that come out of the, uh, the pandemic that we're experiencing now is what role do we see ourselves playing? If most of the private practices across the nation right now are closed, the best that these dentists are able to do is to go online or make phone calls to their patients to answer their questions, to inform them that uh, we're going to be open and we're looking forward to you coming back to see if you have any emergencies or a few practices that are seeing patients on an emergency basis. Here at our clinic, the Cambridge Health Alliance, we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. We triage people over the phone, and then if it's a sure emergency, we bring them in. We use a papper, a hood, if we're going to create aerosols. Aerosols are a part of our business. Right. They fly around the room, you can see it. <laughs> then the ones that you can't see, you got to spray for them and clean for them. Uh, our dental hygienists use the Cavitron, that little thing that vibrates and, and all that spray goes up in the air. Mm -hmm. All these kinds of things put us in a very vulnerable position in terms of treating patients. But since our offices are not open per se on the regular basis, it lends itself to the opportunity of the dentist uh, or oral physician then going in and joining the emergency preparedness teams and working in whatever capacity possible. Data from the U.S. Army indicates that dentists are subdisciplines for triage. So again, there's plenty of opportunities based on our training, because dental training includes not only working, uh, you know, uh, in the oral cavity, but we have to take, you know, the pathology and the anatomy and so forth. Same thing as medical students, medical students do. And in many cases, such as Harvard, we actually train together and dental students are called medical students until they move over to the dental school. So the capacity already exists, we just aren't using it. And so we are hoping that perhaps the policy that comes out of this virus in terms of how we work on patients will move us more into a direction of just uh, of not just working on teeth and, uh, and supporting tissues, but seeing ourselves as oral physicians so that we are encompassing our patients as a whole, and that we are practicing the best techniques in terms of reducing the continuation of a virus such as this one. And because we work in the oral cavity all the time, there's all kinds of stuff that is going on. The oral cavity is like working inside the body um, without having to do surgery to get in there. Right. And just about all kinds of stuff are taking place in the oral cavity. And so it is important for us to start seeing ourselves, whether you call yourself an oral physician or a dentist, doesn't really matter. What's most important is your concept about what we do. And not only it doesn't stop there, but sharing that concept with our other disciplines 
so that they can appreciate what we do, so that we can have a better uh, line of communication, uh, better respect, and a better rapport in terms of what we're capable of doing, though we may not always demonstrate that. That makes a lot of sense. And I have a, an, another um, question, but before, just to follow up, do you think um, there, there are going to be any challenges or ramifications around PPE and um, the dental offices? Because, I mean, I'm thinking after this, we're, you know, a, a simple surgical mask, right, and a face shield is probably not going to be the norm anymore. Um, and so is, is, are those costs, not necessarily, some, some of it costs, but also just accessibility because we, you know, we'll have to make more, obtain more. Do you think right. that'll be a challenge to some of the offices opening as well? Yeah, I think it's going to be a big challenge. I think that most offices are going to want to go back to, well, not most, I would say a percentage, a significant percentage of offices are going to want to go back with minor modifications. They're anxious to go back and it's understandable because you have a business to run. Mm -hmm. And in dentistry, we don't get paid very much for consultations. We get paid for actually doing procedures. That's is, is, is where the income comes. And so to support a business, you need to be able to do those procedures, which is going to, in most cases, require, unless you're an orthodontist, uh, you're going to be using high-speed hand pieces that are going to kick out all these aerosols. So how do you protect yourself? How do you protect your staff when these things are circulating in the, around the room? It's just like people sneezing all day long. Mm -hmm. When you start thinking about the aerosols that are being sprayed. So your offices are going to have to have the proper ventilation. You're going to have to be able to close a door. To consider wearing a papper or a hood. You're going to have to wear the N95 mask, normally with a surgical mask on top of it, so that you can reuse that N95 mm -hmm. for a half a day. You're going to have to be able to take gowns and change them after each patient, rather than just wiping them off or hanging them up and reusing them. You're gonna to need to cover your head. You're gonna to need to cover your feet. You're gonna to need to change going into the office and coming out of the office. You can use UV lights to help uh, you know, kill bacteria. Those things may be incorporated. There are, there are certain types of procedures that are gonna require you being in a room that has, um, you know, high-powered and very, very sophisticated ventilation. You know, we, we're doing that stuff anyway when we start dealing with nitrous oxide. Are we being properly ventilated? We're taking x-rays. Are those walls properly uh, thick enough not to pass radiation throughout? Mm -hmm. There's a lot of areas that we've been getting by with that we need to improve on even without the virus. And now with the virus, our patients if nothing else, are being bombarded with so much news that they're going to come in and want to know, what are you doing? Right. This happened when AIDS hit in the mid-70s. And you had things on, on, on television saying that the lines that you use to suck up all the saliva and the blood and whatever comes out of a patient's mouth, how often are you cleaning those lines so there's no backflow? And our hand pieces, we didn't normally sterilize our hand pieces. We disinfected them because it would ruin the, the bearings inside the hand piece. Now they've created hand pieces that we can sterilize, but those, those things cost hundreds if not thousands of dollars. 
And so it's going to be a learning curve. So OSHA and CODA, the, the agencies that regulate dentistry and so forth, are going to have to step up. And we're going to have to see whether or not the American Dental Association, one of the largest dental associations in the world, are going to moderately advocate or strongly advocate for its members to make these modifications. And these modifications are going to cost money, and they're going to require a learning curve for everybody. So we'll have to see. Um, switching gears just slightly before I have to let you go. Um, you know, we talked we talked briefly on access and all of these topics that we kind of talked about will affect access um, to a degree. But, you know, we're already, um, you know, a large part of the country, uh, many adults don't have good access to, to oral health um, coverage right now. And, you know, I, I think pessimistically, <laughs> it seems like it might get worse after this. I mean, if we think about some of the, the economical ramifications and if that forces some of these, pri these private practices to close. Um, but I mean, is that also an opportunity for, you know, more, you know, public clinics and offices to open to, to provide the, or close that gap or, you know, thinking about places that don't have any coverage at all. So not limited coverage, no coverage. Um, I just wanted to see what your thoughts on, on those things are. Well, the hope is that more people will start looking at perhaps working in the public sector. And maybe if that happens, there will be more clinics that will open up in areas that people live who are not getting the access. As I said earlier, if 90% of dentistry is private, you know, that's sometimes a barrier to entry because states that have public oral health benefits or insurance, as you might say, but dentistry really doesn't have an insurance, but the right. benefits, there's less than 20 states or somewhere around 20 states that have a relatively comprehensive oral health, oral public health benefit. Medicare does not have an oral health benefit. Right. And we look at the population growth of the baby boomers and what we know about oral systemic diseases. Inflammation in the oral cavity is inflammation that circulates through your bloodstream 24 seven. It impacts diabetes directly and, bi and bidirectionally. Hypertension, cardiovascular, pregnancy, and other things are impacted by having this inflammation. Doesn't matter where it's coming from, but we take it so lightly, periodontal disease, but it is a disease that creates increased inflammation. And so we have these huge barriers to oral health care. Adults are not covered necessarily. It's on a state-by-state -state basis. And like you say, we don't have enough clinics. People say we have enough dentists, but the dentists are concentrated in areas where there are, there are companies and industries that pay insurances. But the areas that do not have that type of uh, benefits around their jobs, we don't, we're not there in any large number. And so there's so much work that can be done because I think that something like this will make people start thinking about creating more innovative models. You can have a private practice, doesn't mean you can't take people in the public. You can do that with a percentage and make your private practice a private slash public practice. 
you can actually go out into rural areas and develop a clinic, a hub with satellites. And you can use uh, telemedicine and teledentistry to help you. And you can hire a dental hygienist in some states who can work remotely without being in the dental office. There are things that we can do to improve access to care. And, and patient education is also a huge factor. So we have to do more advocating for oral health and the study of oral diseases to be incorporated into the core curriculums of all nursing, medical, and pharmacy schools. There should be no, ever, never a reason why in 2020 that should be not happening. Dentistry basically should be a subspecialty of medicine. That's the way it should be looked upon. But it's the economics that keep us separate. Different coding systems, you name it. So we are not in the mainstream. And so economically, the whole issue and principle of supply and demand fits that quite nicely. So we're allowing economics to really control healthcare, which is not new, but that's what's doing, what's happening in, in dentistry and oral health. Well, you have given us a lot to think about and consider. Um, and so how I like to close these um, is to ask you to give us one thing that you feel like has been your biggest struggle during the COVID-19 pandemic and whether that can be personal or professionally. Um, and what is your, your uh, thought for our biggest um, chance of change on the other side? What is, what would, I don't want to call it a benefit, but <laughs> what is our biggest opportunity to learn from this pandemic? Uh, the biggest struggle that I have is to watch colleagues and uh, uh, young dentists afraid to participate in the COVID-19. Mm. And, and I asked them, what did you sign up for? You are a doctor and you're a doctor of the oral cavity. So why the hesitation? How do I think it can fix itself? Economics. Is that when you're not getting paid and you're not making a living because we are living in a world where viruses are going to probably continue, then either you choose another profession or you learn to buck up and go in and get in there and start working and making sure that you carry yourself in a way with the right armamentation that you're going to protect yourselves, your staff, as well as your patients. We can do this, but we have to start thinking a little bit differently and get off the status quo bandwagon and start becoming more innovative uh, and working in an area that's moving forward, that captures the environment that we're currently living in. I definitely agree. I, I think um, the biggest takeaway for me from our talk today is that um, there are some unique challenges for oral physicians in this country, and we have lots of room for improvement, for integration, and um, we, we can definitely use this as an opportunity to look at some policy models that we can change both the economic structures, um, but also the, um, the economic structures will probably also lead to improve access for much of our population. So. Um, lots, lots to think about. Um, I've learned a lot. So I'm always, I always love talking to you because I always learn so much when I talk to you. So I appreciate you coming on and teaching me something else today. Um, and with that, um, good luck with everything. And I appreciate you being on our show. Thank you.